us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty hi-ho, Silver the Lone Ranger! Hi-ho, Silver! With his faithful Indian companion, Tonto, the daring and resourceful masked rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early west. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. The Lone Ranger rides again! I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna front. This is one of my favorite times of the year here at the Last Comic Shop. I'm the host of the most, Eddie Larson, and welcome back to another week of movie mayhem. That uh, great time of every single year where we pair comic books with movies, oh, adaptations of the movies, or starring the same characters as the movies. It's a great time. If you love comic books and you love movies, so we hope that you are along for the ride this week. Joining me for my ride is, of course, my regular co-host, Jay Scott and Chad Smith, as well as my brother, Ethan Larson. And speaking of that entry this week, if you haven't guessed, it's all about who was that masked man, the Lone Ranger, as Chad did here in Movie Mayhem. Right, Chad? That's right, Kimasabi. <laughs> Am I allowed to say kimasabi? I think so. It's it's a proper term. It doesn't mean like donkey dung or something. It, it evidently means something appropriate. So I, I'm all about you being my tonto, brother. But yeah, this is a book that we've wanted to cover in the last comic shop, or at least you have for a really long time, right? This is one of your favorite comic books of all time. Oh, heck yeah. This is one of my, uh, anytime somebody wants a, a Western I think this makes for a fine Western, and I think as far as licensed properties go, I think this is a really great... Uh, you'll hear more about it soon enough. All right, well, let's just jump into it, because we got a movie review coming up later on the show, so let's go to J.A. Scott. For who did this particular Lone Ranger 25-issue run? 26. Oh, 26-issue tw- uh, run. 25 and a zero. <laughs> Yes, it's very Valiant-like, but it's not Valiant. It's out of Dynamite Press, uh, issues 1 through 25, plus issue 0. The Lone Ranger, we read it in omnibus form, uh, was written by Brett Matthews. Artist was Sergio Carrillo, and Paul Pope did the wolf sequence in issue 11. And if you think that looks as cool as it sounds, you are correct. Uh, (laughs) Sir... Dean White uh, was colors for issues 0 through 6, Marcello Pinto 7 through 25. Covers were provided by John Cassidy. Yes. Right. Now, it did come out, it started in around 2007. So, just for reference, this 2013 version, I think, is the one that came out circa movie time. Oh, yes. The re-release in, in time for the movie. Although, as we'll get to it later in the show, I they, they should have just adapted this book. <laughs> That's just me! That's just me. And I, and I will say this, that uh, one of my favorite stories from any Comic-Con is the time I got to meet John Cassidy. And like they, everybody was bringing up Star Wars stuff for him to sign and X-Men stuff and all this other stuff. And we brought up Lone Ranger for him to sign. And he was overjoyed and just talked to me and Chad about Lone Ranger for like a half an hour while people behind us were just grumbling and throwing soda cans. And I felt bad because Brett Matthews, the writer of this, 
has written a handful of comics, but then kind of disappeared. And apparently he's some kind of bigwig TV guy, like uh, Joss Whedon understudy that's gone off to do his own things. And meanwhile, I'm like, what is he going to write more Lone Ranger comics? <laughs> <laughs> and John Cassidy was telling us stories about his wedding and being there and, you know, all, I don't know, all kinds. Of- yeah. But speaking of telling stories, let's get to that 10 cent synopsis. What happens in the first 25 issues of this Lone Ranger epic, Ethan? Well, it's pretty much the origin story of the Lone Ranger. His father and brother were both killed in an ambush, um, then becomes obviously the Lone Ranger. And it's his you know, ongoing battles with Butch Cavendish, who starts out as an evil senator and then ends up just an evil dude, which that's what <laughs> yeah. Butch is. A little so. bit of cannibalism. Yeah, yeah a l- little bit of everything. I mean, Butch Cavendish is is, a, is an awful, awful guy in this. And, I, and that's, I think, where I'm going to start uh, with my initial thoughts. This is a really interesting book for me because, uh, you know, I am, I am of two minds of this. I really do enjoy this 25-issue run. It, I, I will say this, when I sat down to reread it just for this show, and I read the first 16 issues within an hour, it just flew by. Like, it's one of those books that you can pick up. And you just don't realize how fast it's going. But I will say this. There is one part of it that I'm kind of like in in multiple readings has kind of hit me over the head like a sack of horseshoes. And that is the fact that this is just Batman on a horse. That's all this is. No, that's all this is, Chad. Now, I won't say that Tonto is the same as Robin because the Tonto character is much more uh, in depth in this particular run than a lot of the Robin stuff that you get. But pretty much John Reed is Bruce Wayne. Like he has a cave, you know, disappears into the darkness. He's got a enemy that's pretty much completely unhinged by the end. Like pretty much Butch Cavendish becomes the Joker. This is just Batman, which is weird because the last thing I'll say is the Lone Ranger as a character predated Batman by several years. So, like, Batman is technically a copy of the Lone Ranger, although in this book, they were really leaning into the to the fact that everybody knows who Batman is. Right? I mean, disagree with me if I, I sound crazy. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to save Chad because he loves this book. Ethan, J.A., parallels between this Lone Ranger book and Batman, especially J.A., you're our big Batman fan. Yeah, I, I could see where you're going with that. I think The issue that newer generations are going to have with the Lone Ranger for this book and also for the movie was that kids don't read or watch or listen to cowboy movies or shows anymore. And the Lone Ranger has kind of fallen out of fashion because it's just not in pop culture narrative anymore. And the Lone Ranger as a character, as we kind of know him from the classic radio show or the, the classic TV show, he was very square. So square that it, it the points hurt you. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> from the badge. It can be a little sharp and prickly. It's like thoughts. sitting on a Rubik's Cube. So how do you deal with that in, a, in an age where square is not considered to be as good as it once was. And so they have to bring in these other elements. And I think when you do that, it does start to kind of go down the Batman route because they have similar origin stories. They have some similar aspects. They hide their face. They 
they lost their family. There's a bit of a revenge kick. Uh, there's no killing rule. Though I think Batman's violated that on so many levels <laughs> over the years. He used Guaranteed. to just huck people out of windows, break their necks. Yes. It didn't matter. Yes. <laughs> so I see what you're going at. At the same time, you could say that they leaned into more like true Western, like Outlaw Josie Wales or Pale Rider. Oh, great movie. The West wasn't sort of the 1950s cowboys and Indians, but gritty and dangerous and life was cheap. Well, let, let's quickly pivot to Ethan, because, again, he's, he's our Western junkie here. Like, is that what you thought in this particular uh, book? Was it leaning into the Westerns? No, this is going to be tough for me because I, I'm going to be, unfortunately, the Debbie Downer. Or It was a slog to get through. Like, it's just dark and then dark and then more dark and then more dark. And I guess when I think of Lone Ranger, often told stories without resorting to violence. And I really think that this book could have learned from doing that and leaned into it more. Like, I wish that it was a little bit more kitschy. I wish that it was more square. I wish there was some levity whatsoever because it was just depressing issue after depressing issue. And I was waiting, hoping that this livened up. Now, the movie, we'll get to that as, as in a bit, but... I think they went maybe a little bit of the opposite direction at times, but also was extremely dark in sequences as well. To be honest with you, I think it was like you saying the Batman, even there was a sequence where he said he had to show fear. That's Batman. Bro. Like that, that's not what I would consider the Lone Ranger doing, but I'd like to hear the counterpoint to this. Yes. I'm sure right. Chad's, and ready this to is go. Chad's book. And, and yeah. he was hoping that it was an entry into the year of Chad. <laughs> Darn right it is. So anyway, let me start off with this whole Batman nonsense. The biggest difference between Batman and the Lone Ranger. Well, I have a whole bunch of theories on Batman. The reason Batman is such a great character is because he actually sucks so hard. Uh, nobody cares about Batman, so they can just turn him into whatever they want, and it works. You can make Batman into comedy. You can make Batman into the scary Dark Knight. You can make Batman into the guy that talks like this. Someone swearing like this. But <laughs> Batman is very malleable because there's not a lot there. And the difference between Batman and the Lone Ranger is Batman fights for vengeance. Batman fights because criminals are a cowardly lot and he's out to get revenge. The Lone Ranger fights for what's right. The Lone Ranger does what's right because it's the right thing to do. And I especially love this adaptation because you got a, a much more nuanced Tonto. I, I disagree, Ethan. I respect your opinions, but I disagree that there wasn't levity here. I definitely agree that there was a lot of violence. There was definitely a lot of, I don't know if modernization is the right word, but to take those classic tropes from the, you know, the radio shows and the 50s TV show. But at the end of the day, while it has all that stuff on the outside, it's the crunchy candy shell on the M&M of violence and aggression, and Butch Cavendish is going to try to rape people, and he's going to eat their hearts, and there's all these terrible things going on. Dump soup? Yeah. <laughs> the scalding soup scene was just oh, was so disturbing. There's a lot of disturbing stuff in here, and you're, you're not wrong about that. But inside, it's wrapped around the Lone Ranger, who has his, his creed, who has his way of doing things, and it's not for vengeance. You know, he's actively not out to kill. You know, he wants to bring people to justice, but more importantly, it's it's like a, a divination. It's He's doing it for what's right. 
And that's so different than Batman, where it's, you know, Batman's sad because his mommy and daddy died. The Lone Ranger's lost everything and is still out there just as a force for good. Yeah, and and I and I and I do agree with that. I mean, I get again maybe uh, when I'm talking about similarities to Batman, maybe it's in like the motifs, and again like certain aspects, like him disappearing into the shadows or jumping out of windows, and th- and I get that again. Lone Ranger predated Batman, so like you could say that like Batman comes from that. And I will say this: I, I one of my favorite parts of this particular 25 issue run is how the Lone Ranger's outfit changes. Right from the beginning of the 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 book. He's pretty much left for dead and Tonto, you know, brings him back to life. And you can tell that Tonto is is very spiritual about the guy. Like this guy cannot do anything wrong. He's like the pale rider. He is the avenging angel of justice. And so he's going to follow. Him. And isn't that great? That scene where you see the blue light behind him and the Lone Ranger's like, what? What do you see? And Tonto's like, nothing. Right. His mask becomes shorter. He starts getting like the blue shirt and the and it just becomes he becomes more and more of the iconic. So by the end of it, when he has this moment where he could have killed Butch Cavendish, he could have left him for dead. But then he saves his life and takes him to a doctor. Uh, I think that is the moment where there is a difference between the Lone Ranger character and the Batman character. But at the same time. I mean, come on. Like, he has, like, a character that's pretty much the Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. Bush Cavendish is pretty much the Joker by the end of it with maniacal, crazy grins. And there, there are some similarities. But I'm thinking Silver and Tonto, like, there's enough differences around there. Right. But I, I think a comparison is okay. But to say one is the other, uh, I'm not buying it. All right. On the book itself, I love the reimagining of Tonto. I think, obviously... You have to do that in the modern age. He's quite a problematic character if, if if you look at him from sort of the classic radio show. And they did it well here. We haven't really mentioned it except, Chad, a little bit. But the art is incredible in this book. I really loved it. I know, know, know Ethan, that you're all about that grayscale western but there is something to be said of seeing those beautiful oranges and browns and yellows of the high desert and, and these great silhouettes. And they really lean into candles and shadows and black and white. And it's it's cinematic, long panels that stretch the page in sequence. It, it looks not unlike a storyboard for a film. What better? Because it's not scratchy. It's beautiful yeah. art. It's it, The action flows. Before you go too far uh, away from this, I do want to mention the John Cassidy covers. That was always the milkshake that would bring people to the yard. And I'll be honest, the first couple issues I read of this, I'm like, ah, oh, the art inside's okay. But it's one of those things as the story goes on, you get to see you know, what a masterful storyteller Sergio Cariello is. You know, every character is so well defined and the emotion and the faces and the fear and the terror and the the, the vindication, like everything is there. The, the acting, the portrayal, and it has that grit that you want from a Western, maybe a little too much grit for for Ethan's purposes from a Lone Ranger comic. But I, I just, it all works for me art wise. The last thing I just wanted to say is just I wish that this was just a standalone Western character, and I don't think it would be tied with the baggage or maybe wouldn't have sold as well. But I think that if they would have just drafted a new guy that was, you know, stood for all the stuff that this guy stands for, 
I think it would have probably told a better story. And I and I honestly like when I told you Andy about stuff like you bring me on because obviously I like the genre that you're covering, but not all of our audience does. And so I try to think of things as like, does it rise above the genre that we're talking about? So does this rise above your typical, you know, Western to be just a, a good book, period? What's your opinion? Of, what's all three of you? I know um, for me, uh, I think it's it, it. I said it didn't even seem like a Western to me at all. Yeah, so, I, I think that's I think that's my thought of process is it, it modernizes it to a certain extent where it's again, it's a Western in flavor. But like it's Batman on a horse. No, it isn't. This rises above. A Western TV slash radio show that uh, you used to watch with grandma <laughs> and takes it and modernizes it and keeps that same heart. Yes, I think it does. Uh, it leans into some Western tropes, obviously, uh, because it is a Western. But I think you don't have to be necessarily a Lone Ranger fan or steeped in the Lone Ranger mythos to get enjoyment from it. Yeah, because it's a Batman book. <laughs> Um, well, and I real quickly, be, before we get to, to ratings, uh, one particular issue or segment of this 25-issue run, because, I mean, this is a chunk. I, we don't read 25 issues just, you know, here and there on the last comic shop. So uh, I'll start. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite segments in this entire book was during the f- final battle with Butch Cavendish, where Silver comes to the Lone Ranger's rescue. Uh, They build Silver up throughout this entire book as this wild horse that can't be broken. The Lone Ranger, through caring and and, and patience, man, he loves that horse because immediately Butch Cavendish gets a, a Gatling gun and starts shooting the place up. And the Lone Ranger immediately jumps and grabs Silver and pushes him down behind this uh, church altar to protect him from the bullets and says, stay still. And I just thought as a guy that has a dog, um, (laughs) I don't have a horse, but I have a dog. And so I, I, I do kind of feel fealty to an animal in my own life. And I just thought that was a really powerful image in this middle of this church. Just love that. Chad, this is tough for me to narrow down. There are so many moments in this book that I just love. I love the characterization of Butch Cavendish. I think he's the most terrifying villain ever. Like you, you start off and he's that politician. He's in that smarmy world. You can tell he's uncomfortable. And then his right-hand man, Winthrop steals all his money. Instead of that being like the thing that, you know, makes him real mad and sets him off. He's like, Oh no. Like he's been set free from all his earthly possessions. And then, I don't know. I just, I just love it all. There's so much here. And then you get the nods. We didn't even talk about the little notes about little Dan. Oh, yes. And I know that's Andy's bag, so I won't step on that too much. Yeah, the green hornet stuff there. That was good. I mean, that's another great scene where he brings the hornet's nest in, and he's like, what do you got behind you, kid? Is that bees? He's like, no, it's hornets. That's the moment Dan Reed becomes like them. And that's not even the green hornet. That's his son. Yeah, it ends up being the green hornet. Like, he's the guy that ends up going to San Francisco and starting the Daily Sentinel and becoming... Uh, the guy that starts that newspaper and the crusading newsman that his son, his son, who is the Green Hornet, Britt Reed, wants to emulate. And ultimately, I, I will say this. I, I always think the Green Hornet is much more interesting than even the Lone Ranger, just simply because of the whole pretending to be a criminal thing. Right. Like that adds a whole other element to that character. But J.A., your favorite part. 
I, I did like the little notes and nods to the Lone Ranger lore. Like there's a sequence where he's you see him in the distance through the door and there's a piano there and sitting on the piano is the score to the William Tell overture. And I just like, oh, that's kind of nice. But I mentioned it when I was going through the uh, the creators is there's this sequence and I think it starts in issue 11 where Tonto is with this guy who's been condemned to death uh, that they had caught. And Tonto says, I'm going to stay with you and watch you hang. So you have someone, even though you're evil, you know, I'll be with you. And he tells him this story about a wolf and there's this, and I'm not going to ruin it for anyone, but there's this great sequence about this wolf sort of going through nature and encountering what humans have done to that nature. And then, stealing from them and becoming like them and then going back he leaves it very ambiguous what happens to this wolf and the 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 guy he's telling it to who's about to die the next day is like how can you you can't you can't how can you tell a story if you don't know the ending and and tonto is almost like saying it's not about the ending that's the importance the importance is about the story itself and i really love that and it it was done by a different artist than the main book and i thought this is one of those places where switching up the artist works really well because it takes you out of the immediate scene of the lone ranger and it puts you in this totally different world and you're living this story as tonto tells it that's a great portion of the story jay and i think i like the the portion that actually leads up to that which is the story of of Raphael, which is kind of like the first temptation of christ the lone ranger um where he has to be where he's fully tested of his metal and wanting to kill this guy who has no redeemable qualities whatsoever. And he gets tested and tested. And one of the tests is that the Raphael shoots Tonto and he takes the bullet for him. And before then, I think like that him and Tonto had like an uneasy relationship. I think that's how it started. And after that, they were, you know, Kimosabis with each other. So I thought that was very nice. And it was a good interlude to the wolf story, which is also one of my favorite parts. That's where the story was strongest. Well, speaking of strongest parts of of narratives, let's get to our ratings. It's oftentimes our strongest part of the show because we actually just cut through all of that bull flop and uh, get to actually what we think about this book. So, J.A., what is our rating scale for this week? Well, one out of four appropriately named Silver Bullets. Ah, very nice. We're going to start off with Ethan. Uh, I think this might be like a cascading scale, but Ethan, you were yeah. the most critical of this week's book. Uh, what's your overall rating? It's it's a two for me. You know, it was one of those books that I mean, Chad's been telling me about for years. Um, which you know, he told me this over my one of my favorite books, with Blueberry, which is going to be my recommendation later today. But like I said, I think I think some of the criticisms that I had didn't click for me, and it just yeah. was very dark. So. Okay. Not everything's for everybody. That's all right. So, J.A., was this for you? Yes, it was. I liked it. I enjoyed it. As I said, the art really blew me away. And I'm a bit like Chad. I think it, it took a while to to grow on me. It, it felt a little bit workmanlike at the beginning. And then as you started to get into it, it's like you're seeing the nuance come through. And the colors were just incredible. The story, I thought it... it Followed the Lone Ranger as he evolved into the man he becomes by the end. I loved the reimagining of Tonto. 
Well, you know, give it three and a half. Three silver bullets and then a casing, I guess. Okay. So three and a half silver bullets. All right, well, I'll go next because I, I think I can guess what Chad's going to rate this. I, I, I also am going to say three and a half. If, if, you, if we had reviewed this book a couple years ago, I probably would have given it a four. But, like, boy, we're really reading some great books on The Last Comic Shop. Honestly, we are. Um, maybe it's just recency bias with some of the other books that we've been reading. But I just saw a little too many parallels to the Batman uh, and too many Batman-esque tropes, especially towards the end. Uh, I think it really starts to shine through and you're like, oh, OK, yeah, this is just killing joke because he's torturing Commissioner Gordon. And uh, I, I just it, it, regardless, I think this is still the best Lone Ranger comic book out there, though. And I still think that anybody that picks it up probably going to enjoy it. And probably read it pretty fast, because I, I, I just think it flies. I don't think it's a slog at all, even though um, there's some parallels that I wish were different. But 3.5 is a strong grade for any comic book. Chad? No, I'm going to preface this by saying The Lone Ranger is mildly important to me as a character, just because... As a wee little kid, I remember watching the reruns of the 50s TV show with my grandma. I have really fond memories there. And as far as you guys know how I'm a toy guy, one of the first toys I had were from the, I think it was the 1981 movie. Legend of Lone Ranger. The Legend of Lone Ranger, where I had the Lone Ranger and I had Tonto and I had Silver and I still have them today. Regardless, I played with those toys so much as a kid and it was just... The, the simplicity of the Lone Ranger being that guy that's going to stand up for what's right and Tonto, you know, being his faithful sidekick. And so I, I came into this book with an affinity for the Lone Ranger. I will say, on a critical note, reading this through from 1 to 25 and then 0, I do think they did the book a disservice by putting the 0 issue, the new the free comic book day issue at the very back, Yes. Which is the, the creed of the Lone Ranger. I agree with that. Uh, that should have been up front and center. And also, I remember the book as a meteor experience. And I, I remembered why. Because there was also a companion book, a miniseries that went along at the same time that fleshed out a lot about Tonto. So if this is all you're getting, and admittedly, this is a lot. It's 25 issues. There are some questions like, why is Tonto there? Why do they call him Tonto? All that stuff wasn't fleshed out in this particular series. So I can see those little moments where people could consider this to be lacking. But but it's not. It's a four. It's wonderful. It's great. It's a wonderful reimagining of the character. I thought it did a great job making the course corrections with Tonto. You know, and Silver's just the best. I love Silver the Wild Horse that can't be tamed. It's just there. And like, and then they still kept the, the heart of what makes the Lone Ranger wonderful even though they bloodied it up a little bit they made it into a violent more violent more aggressive western format but boy the parallels between cavendish and the lone ranger and how they both grow throughout the course of this 25 26 issue arc man it it was just a wonder to watch and i love it and so uh, i considered for a minute docking it a few points because you know in retrospect reading it through this time i'm like oh it's a little incomplete but no the rest of it makes up. This is awesome. It's a four. All right. Well, let's get to that movie review right after these commercial breaks. So stay tuned for the Disney's version of The Lone Ranger, featuring a lot of folks 
that have done some stuff since this movie came out. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, Head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD today. That's LCSPOD. When you're done listening to this podcast, check out mine. My name is Dave and I'm the host of Beer in Front. My podcast is just enjoying the beer that's in front of you. Sometimes we forget about a classic beer while we focus on the new trendy thing. What I try to do each week is to enjoy an old school classic or have a beer that has potential to be a classic. I'll also talk about events of the day. I'll add my spin to things. And each week there are people that really annoy me and I'll call them out as the jag off of the week. That's Beer in Front, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Back with more of the last comic shop, and it is now time for our movie pile review. Yes, movie mayhem brings not only a comic book review but a movie review every single show as we talk about a movie that kind of dovetails with the comic book we're talking about. And this one was easy, all right. This one was super easy because you had this great Lone Ranger run, and then you had a movie that I remember sitting with Chad in the movie theaters. Way back in 2000, what, 2013? Thir- 2013, yeah. That's a long time ago. Anyways, we were sitting together, and I was like, oh, boy, is this going to be like the Dynamite Run? And then, no, <laughs> it's not. I mean, was it was something else. It was a guy with a bird on his head. Two and a half long hours. But I'm not going to give my initial thoughts just yet until we get through The Lone Ranger by Disney. Now, J.A., who worked on this tremendous flop? So it was directed by Gore Verbitsky with a screenplay from Justin Haith, Ted Elliott, and Terry Rosio, based obviously on The Lone Ranger by Fran Stryker and George W. Trendle, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer <laughs> and Gore Verbitsky. Uh, it starred Johnny Depp as Tonto with the aforementioned crow on his head. That was uh, based on a painting titled I Am Crow by Kirby Sattler, by the way. A little bit of trivia there. Army Hammer played the Lone Ranger. Uh, William Fitchner did a very good job, I thought, as Bush Cavendish. Uh, then you had some other, like Tom Wilkinson played this corrupt railroad tycoon. Ruth Wilson, the British actress, played uh, the widow of the Lone Ranger's brother. Uh, Helen and Bottom Carter shows up and walking around in a leg made out of ivory and scrimshaw, and uh, that had a shotgun in the heel. <laughs> From the, uh... that, that was a bridge too far for me. I, here I am again, giving initial thoughts. All right. Okay. Well, regardless, um, we're going to go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about Johnny Depp and Army Hammer. Um, 
I, I don't know how to say it. Chad, what came to light about Arnie Hammer in the years after this? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a little bit unfortunate. If you want to be grossed out, go ahead and Google Arnie Hammer, which I didn't realize was actually uh, one of the heirs in the Arm and Hammer fortune. But it turns out all that money, uh, probably not good for you. And at one point, uh, mid-pandemic, he was divorcing from his wife. And then uh, allegations came out about sexual things and deviances and cannibalism and all kinds of weird stuff. And then fast forward a few years later, and Army Hammer's working uh, selling uh, timeshares in the Calypso Island. (laughs) (laughs) And so... It really is a sad story, and definitely, like, when you think Lone Ranger, you think something, you know, it it doesn't fit the character. But that's also not to say the movie, with Johnny Depp being the, you know, representing the Cherokee tribe, when he maybe might have a grandmother who was a part Cherokee, like, there are a lot of problematic elements in this film. (laughs) Um, They play, like, the genocide of uh, so many Native Americans for laughs at certain points, and, like, there's a lot of inconsistencies that whenever you look at it, like, it's like, oh, ooh. (laughs) I don't know if if the Lone Ranger should have came out to the William Tell Overture, or, she drives me crazy! serious though i mean if you watch the movie though i mean army hammer does look like the lone ranger he's got that square jaw and that build um and it's sad because like i think ja and i not only kind of like him in this movie but we we love that other movies in right oh man from uncle i love that man from uncle him yeah. and henry cavill just real quick is that i just wanted to say like i think they could have just got jason seagull I kept thinking that the, the entire time. He looks like Annie Harmer. He would have been added a little bit more levity to the character. Uh, he has the same square jaw. He's tall. So uh, they could have avoided a Why huge Why aren't you point. a casting agent? Well, so when we said this was a bomb, it was a massive bomb. It grossed $260 million against a $250 million production budget and $150 million marketing costs. So it's like one of the biggest box office bombs of Hollywood. Definitely killing Disney. I'm curious, was this a bigger bomb than John Carter? Well, John Ooh. Carter had been the year before, and because of the John Carter performing so poorly and being such a big thing, I think critics were just uh, champing at the bit to tear this one apart. Ah. Well, speaking of tearing this story apart, let's get to that 10 cent synopsis since Ethan did such a wonderful job with the previous segment. <laughs> Ethan, will you uh, give us the 10 cent synopsis for the Lone Ranger movie? Well, it was pretty much the Lone Ranger origin story. And uh, <laughs> so he was, him and his brother were on a ride out, and they got double crossed by somebody, got into an ambush, and was shot up. Tonto found him, and. Arnie Hammer bit his arm and said, stop it. And uh, the rest is history. He needed that taste. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Johnny Depp looks pretty good. Put some ketchup on that. And then there's a lot of hijinks that happen. Um, the Butch Cavendish has an evil brother that's also running the railroad conveniently. Couldn't have just been Butch, but they had to make it more complicated for... I swear, there's a good movie in here somewhere <laughs> it's buried but it, it i think they could have cut out like an hour's worth of this movie and i think oh yeah really good well i, th- I think that's going to be my initial thoughts is like there there is some really great segments in this particular movie i remember watching this movie 
with uh, Ethan and my dad, who was a huge Lone Ranger fan. And you could see the, like, twinkle, the excitement in his eye when that William Tell Overture hits. And there is that massive train sequence, which, unlike the rest of the movie, which is way too long, that train sequence could have gone on for another 20 minutes because it was well choreographed, it was epic, it had peaks and valleys and pulled you in, and that song, man, that that fired you up. Like, I'm 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 glad that they waited till then to bring it in as opposed to, like, playing it at the beginning. I thought it, it made you wait for the payoff. It was a great payoff. And to your point, this movie felt a lot like a, a 20th century action movie. It harkened back to the Indiana Jones and, and sort of action movies that were more stilted in realism than giant superhero CGI slugfests. It just it felt more physical. Right. I don't know. I you know I, I, you had a bit of uh, Buster Keaton in the train involved in this. It it just very felt like a 20th century action movie. I think the whole narrative premise that they based it off of too, where it's an old Tonto retelling the story at like a crap carnival. I think they could have completely cut that out and just told oh, it. Oh, no, I love that. I love that sequencing. Yes, I like the old Johnny Depp. Oh, see, like, I just thought it was this unnecessary narrative, like... Um, no, Kimosabi, no. <laughs> never take off the mask. I, I, I agree with Ethan. I wasn't a big fan of that framing premise. Like, I thought that could have been cut, honestly. I, As I said, I was sitting with Chad, and I'm like, when, when are they going to start doing more of the dynamite stuff? Like, Butch Cavendish is not even anywhere near the as evil of a bad guy in this movie as he is the in whole, the books. Yeah, I the, the whole railroad tycoon side story I thought was a bit overdone. They could have got rid of that guy and just have Butch Cavendish. Yeah, and I, I do think the Butch Cavendish himself was Disney bad guy 101, and they really didn't play him with the menace uh, that he had. But if I'm going to go into my initial thoughts, the very first thing I want to do is I want to take all the problematic elements of this movie and I want to put them in a tiny little box. Okay? Yeah, Army Hammer's a sexually abusive psycho. Put it in a box. A cultural appropriation Johnny Depp. We're going to put that in a box. We're going to take away the whole making light of genocidal actions. I, I would like to, at this time, close that box. I love this movie. <laughs> now... Part of this comes, this movie came out in 2013, and two days before I saw this movie, you know what I saw? Man of Steel. Oh, yeah. And I hated the Man of Steel movie so much. So much. Talk about something that got something so incredibly wrong. Like, to this day, oh, I have nightmares about Pa Kent being like, nah, let him die. <laughs> See, I, will, I have to just jump in here real quick, because I do want to champion that, because I saw Man of Steel... And then I saw the first 15 minutes of The Amazing Spider-Man 1, and I swore off superhero movies for 5 to 10 years. Yeah, was, it was a rough time here. The only reason I sat through Amazing Spider-Man 1 was out of respect for the $14 I had to pay for my ticket. Otherwise, I was, I was ready to walk. But anyway, it was a rough time for movies. But then I sat in on this movie. And you can say, and I, I would agree that it's too long. I think all movies, uh, once it hits two hours, the movie should just be over. I don't care where the story is. Just done. With all those complaints, it had a lot of really fun action sequences. Even though I 
firmly believe my heart of hearts, the Dynamite comic book, the Brett Matthews uh, script would have been such a better and more enthralling movie experience. This was big budget hijinks, and it did feel like an Indiana Jones or like one of the mummy movies where, you know, you would have the Lone Ranger who was a spirit walker, so he couldn't die, but didn't know what the heck he was doing, but he'd shoot his gun and it would ricochet out 15 different things and then take out the bad guy and knock him down and do all this other stuff. I thought that was fun, and I enjoy uh, wacky Johnny Depp. Like, I know I shouldn't, but I do. He's feeding the crow and he's making trades. Uh, and I enjoy the interplay between, you know, how they're a little bit hostile with each other between Tonto and the Lone Ranger. Compared to The Man of Steel, even though this movie had a lot of terrible things in it, there was a lot of violence, there was a lot of, you know, just horribility. But at the same time, there was a joy to it that having come out of Man of Steel, where I was like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I was so ready to embrace that joy. And this movie had it. And then I walked out and I was like, Oh, man, that was great. Everybody else was like, no, no, it wasn't. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I, I'm not going to, you know, mince words about it. I, it was a good, it was a popcorn movie. It was entertaining. Um, and I watched the movie first, so maybe that skewed my interpretation of the book, and maybe that's why I was surprised at how dark the book was, because this did have a level of levity to it. But like I said, I just keep going back. It, a lot of stuff should have been left on the editing floor, like, you know, when they dragged the Lone Ranger through horse manure. And, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, can we put the manure dragging in the box, too? Because yeah, that okay, was an excruciatingly long sequence that did not need to be in the movie. Uh, I'm, I'm half tempted to turn this off, but I got to see how it, it goes. And I just wish there was a little bit more to chew on. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, they kind of gave me a taste. I don't think any of the characters were, you know, fleshed out, uh, you know, other than Johnny Depp, who, again, chewed the scenery. And say what you will, he's, he, he did what he was supposed to do. He was Captain Jack Tonto, so it was... And I actually thought this worked better than a lot of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. But when you talk about it not having that depth, yeah, I can see that. That's that's a valid. Well, I, I will ask real quickly, uh, one of the other big differences between the book and the movie is the fact that, like, in the movie, Lone Ranger gets the girl. Like, she ends up, like, giving him a kiss. You're the right brother today! And in the, in the book, as we didn't actually talk about, Tonto ends up getting the girl. Not only do you have, like, a, a the Johnny Depp a version of Tonto in the movie who is nowhere near as physically imposing. Completely different Tonto. And then he doesn't get the girl at the end. What do you think, J.A.? I like the movie. I think it probably ages better with time a bit. It's one of those things you can go back and you can put on. And is it over long? Yes. Does it have some things that are problematic if you don't put them in the box? Yes. <laughs> hey, that um... being said, I agree with sort of the film critic Walter Chaw who said uh, that quote that this movie is a labor of love for a character so unbelievably square that he becomes symbolic of our disappointment in ourselves. Wow. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get to ratings so we can get to recommendations. So, J.A., one out of four scale for the movie adaptation of Lone Ranger. Is it boxes? No, we're going to have one out of four crows. Oh, what? All right, I, I will go first. I'm going to give this a solid 2.75. Um, I don't think this is the best movie ever. I think that that train sequence is one of the best sequences in movies ever. 
and I could watch that over again. But that's like again the last half hour of the movie, movie that clocks in at a two two plus thirty minutes. I'm not going to stick around just for the last 30 minutes. Plus, again, Butch Cavendish, uh, even though he was like kind of like the Joker in the Dynamite, he had a lot more depth. Didn't they even make him scarred so he looked like Jonah Hex? Like, I didn't understand that. I'm like, you don't have to make him look ugly. He's ugly on the inside. Like, make him look nice. Like, I don't know. Uh, whatever. But yeah, give me that scene where Silver is galloping across the top of the train. Oh my goodness, those stunts. That was incredible. I don't care if that was CGI. Just beautiful stuff. All right, J.A. You know what? I watched it when it first came out. I've watched it again on DVD last night. I had to find a way to watch a DVD. That was not the easiest thing because I don't have a DVD player anymore. I had to end up breaking out my old Apple USB Super Drive and then hoping it was the right region for the disc. And uh, Anyways... Uh, you know, it's it's a fun movie. If you put all that stuff in the box, I like the narrative framing elements. I love the action sequences. I love that it is competently directed by a person who obviously is steeped in Hollywood tradition. So it rises above sort of regular bubblegum popcorn movie flair. It's the perfect movie to see at a drive-in. And so with all that being said, I give it three. It's three crows. You know, it would be the perfect of a double feature. What would you put on the back end? John to be a Carter. double feature, feature, yes, that would be great. You'd have to cut it down. So maybe you cut out some of the padding. You'd be there for six hours. It would start at 10. <laughs> be there until 4 a.m. You get your money's worth, though. You do. You might need to bring a gas can so your car doesn't run out. Yeah. I was going to say, it would end sooner than the Avatar double feature. <laughs> Ethan, your, your rating. You know what? At the end of the day, and this might be you know my ultimate criticism of the book and why I think I prefer the movie better, is that when I think of a Western, I want to be taken somewhere and I want to, I want to sit on the porch and drink you know a nice cold beer you know, whiskey, or if you're not a drinker, like a cold iced tea, and just sit while the sun sets and pull out a good Western and just, you know, kick back and read. And, and you already know where the story's going. You know where it's going to end up. You don't have to think about uh, some of the more, you know, dramatic elements of Western. That's Western to me. Uh, needless to say, you won't be seeing me read The Blood Meridian anytime soon. Um, so, and I think that this fits the bill. You know, I, I cracked open a couple beers yesterday and, and sat this on the TV and, you know, it was, it was fun and it was, uh, you know, like I said, it was a bop. So it, it, it flew by and my wife hated it, which <laughs> I, I know what that says about me, but, um, but yeah, or the movie itself and maybe it's just catered for a certain person, a certain, of a certain age or has a certain appreciation for this stuff. And, and I think, like Jay said, I think the movie aged better than I think it, it ever imagined it aging. And so for me, I think it's not quite a two, it's not 2.5, it's not quite a three. I think it's it's what Andy gave. I think 2.75 if I could crow off of his uh, response. All right, Chad. You gave a four to the book. Is this a four of a movie? So I really enjoyed this movie. And this was a different experience. And it was one of those things where I kind of had to fight my feelings a little bit. Because like I said, I, I, the book is fantastic. I totally encourage you guys to check out the book. I don't have 
the yucky feelings after the book that I do after the movie and everything that's come out since then. Like, I don't need a box to appreciate the book. And so I know uh, my wife is very much so in tune with, like, socially and culturally appropriate things. And I don't think this movie is that. But with that said, boy, did I have fun with it. Like, it's so fun and silly and campy. Uh, When it comes to box office, I equate it to Scott Pilgrim, which was another movie that came out and just bombed. And I was like, why aren't these movies catching on? I felt like there should have been an audience for this. But for whatever reason, it just wasn't aired on the the right weekend or Disney must have not been able to market it in a way. They leaned too far into the Johnny Depp and not enough into the Lone Ranger stuff. I don't know what it was, but I enjoyed it. It's definitely different in the comic book. But it it did embody the spirit of the Lone Ranger. I just wish I could shake off the icky stuff more. So I'm going to go, and I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to say a three. I still have my box. As long as that box is closed, it's a three. Yeah, shake off that wool sweater dipped in cod liver oil, because that's like, it's just sticking all over you. And That's another thing, too. The outfit of the Lone Ranger and the bird on the head, I, I didn't, man, I just wish there was a more faithful representation. But... Especially after Man of Steel, it was such a great palate cleanser. Well, well, we've got a palate cleanser for you coming up right after this commercial break. It's recommendations, so we're going to get to give you some other books, so stay tuned for that. What happens when 20-something Madison is zapped into old-time radio shows? No technology. Ugh, why want to go to voicemail? No Starbucks. Don't call yourself a coffee shop if you only sell drip coffee. And no one is PC. I don't need no lip from... Were you about to say woman? Because I'm wearing a gun and I have no idea how to use it. Madison on the Air serves to highlight the way we were and the way we are today with original radio drama scripts adapted to include the modern-day Madison as she joins famous characters from radio's past, including Sergeant Joe Friday. Just the facts, ma'am. I've never actually said that. Marshal Matt Dillon. We're not having a shootout with a 10-year-old kid. I'm too woke to be a part of this. Superman. I didn't realize how cold it would be flying like this. I have to get into the higher atmosphere. And many more. Visit us on the web at madisonontheair.com or find us pretty much any place podcasts can be found. You talk so old-timey. I have no idea what you said, but it's adorbs. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop. It is now time for recommendations, and we don't have a lot of time because we did a lot of time talking about The Lone Ranger. So really quickly, here are some other books that you can pick up at your local comic shop in addition to The Lone Ranger 25-issue thing. Like, I, I guess you can pick it up in single issues. Um, I've seen some, actually, some of the issues in Buckbins, but not all of them. So it's probably better to just get the omnibus because it's all there. Any case, uh, I will go first. And speaking of this book being basically Batman on a horse, uh, I'm going to go talk about another character that's very similar to Batman, and that's Daredevil. Because Daredevil is like Batman, except they can do whatever the hell they want with him. And the first person that really did whatever the hell they wanted with Daredevil was Frank Miller. Well, I guess not. I mean... Wally Wood did have him fight the Submariner for no good reason at all. And they gave him a, a, a twin brother. Oh, Mike Murdoch. <laughs> Andy, I, I, have to, I have to stop you right here because I cannot let this go. We have recommendations on a show about the Lone Ranger, and you're giving me Daredevil? Come on, yeah. where is Green Hornet? Look, you can pick up Dynamite's Green Hornet year one that was done by Matt Wagner. 
uh, which is incredible. It's a 12 issue run. It's really good. You can also pick up Mark Wade's run that he followed up with. Uh, those both star the Britt Reed version of the Green Hornet from the 1930s and 40s. Great stuff, but I'm not recommending that. I'm recommending Daredevil, Love and War, which I just read with uh, Kingpin, drawn by the wonderful Bill Sienkiewicz. And he just looks like a big Paisley Mountain. And there's this really weird-looking serial killer guy that... But he's drawn like like a freaking gibbon or a baboon in most of the shots. This art by Bill Sienkiewicz is out of this world. You should read this book not so much for the Frank Miller writing. It's fine. But the Bill Sienkiewicz art, this is like top-tier Bill Sienkiewicz stuff. And again, it's to Chad's point that they can do whatever the hell they want with Daredevil, and you'll still read it. There's some beautiful scenes <laughs> with Daredevil jumping out of windows with, like, this beautiful blonde woman in his arms, and they look like they're falling through space. Just great stuff. And Turk's in it. Turk is one of my favorite characters in all of Daredevil. Anytime you get Turk, you're in for a good time. So read Daredevil uh, Love and War. It's part of that Marvel graphic novel series that they put out in the 80s which was just a wellspring of great books oh uh, yeah don't forget the the kingpin that's the one that shows up in uh, the first into the spider-verse and it's like oh my goodness that's in cabbage kingpin <laughs> anyways chad okay the one criticism i had of the the lone major comic that we read was that there were certain things that they didn't really go in depth with and i'm like wait a minute i I remember, and there was a companion miniseries. It was called The Lone Ranger and Tonto. It was written by uh, Brett Matthews with a series of different artists. There were four issues. They ha- they all have John Cassidy covers. They're, the trade is a little tougher to find these days, but you can find them out there. Uh, it's worth picking up to fill in some of the backstory and just experience, you know, the Lone Ranger and Tonto at a carnival. And like, there's just all sorts of fun to be had. So the Lone Ranger and Tonto, make sure you're picking up the Brett Matthews stuff. Some of the Lone Ranger things that came after by Andy Parks and others, I wouldn't recommend until Mark Russell uh, from oh, a few yes. shows back did his take with Bob Q. But anyway, Brett Matthews, Lone Ranger, I say pick it up. Okay, Ethan, you're up next. First off, I just wanted to say that I went, I started, I went to the library and looked for probably like an hour for another Western book recommendation that I could find. Uh, but as J.A. says, they don't make Westerns anymore, or at least that often. Uh, so I struggled with that. But I do want to recommend um, a book that we read, read previously um, in another life. It was Blueberry, book one, uh, by Jean-Michael uh, Charlier, French comics artist Jean uh, Mobius uh, Girard. Um, this was on the Marvel Epic line where we read it. was basically the telling of Chihuahua Pearl and um, has a, you know, regular, regular old dude, Bruce Willis, a time out of place looking in Mexico for Confederate gold. Uh, so it doesn't get more, much more Western than that. It was published originally in 1973, but the Marvel book came out in 1989. So good luck trying to track it down, but they maybe did a reprint sometime uh, between then. But definitely recommended. Like I said, good porch reader. Um, and everything you want from Western. All right, wordy, GA, you're last. All right, well, it's movie mayhem. So we would be remiss if we didn't recommend some movies instead of just reading stuff. Woo-hoo. And if you're going to recommend movies and Western movies, none better 
possibly than the man with no name trilogy that's right a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and the good the bad the ugly sergio leone directing clint eastwood 1964 1965 1966 i'm sure you can find them in dvd packs blu-ray packs uh streaming packs just epic clinton tarantino royally cripped from these uh, oh yeah everybody does like nowadays everybody's all about the mandalorian right and all the imagery in the mandalorian over the last couple of seasons go back and watch the sergio leone westerns that's where they cribbed everything from for gods well that and the the kurosawa samurai films but yeah so there you go that's my recommendation best one ja is it good bad the ugly or yes I, I, I like Fistful of Dollars. I like the first one. I like Yojimbo. So, like, that's, that's I mean. Jay, I have a limited amount of time. So, you rec- recommend Good, Bad, and the Ugly? I haven't, unfortunately, seen it. Yes. How long is it? Hour, two hours? It's long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the I'll tell you. I'll tell you how long it is. When when I first owned it on VHS, you had to have two VHS tapes. Oh, it's wow. one of those. It's like Ben Hur. Yeah, or <laughs> Gone with the Wind was the famous My My, my dad Which would be like, we're going to watch Ben-Hur. And I'd be like, no, I'm not, no. But something that's not long is the ending it's, of our show, because Chad is unveiling our new truncated version of the end of our show. So, Chad, what do we got? Got to make this quick. Andy, what's the website? It's www.lastcomshoppodcast.com. Jay, what do they get there? They get links to all of our social media and our merch store where this week only masks. There we go. Recommendations. We have more Lone Ranger, Lone Ranger and Tonto. We have Blueberry, Daredevil, Love and War. And we've got the Man with No Name trilogy, Sergio Leone. Ethan, what should people smash? (laughs) Smash that like button. And also, if you need backs, boards, and boxes, go to bcwsupplies.com. Use the promo code LCSPOD at checkout to save 10% off your order and support the podcast. So please, bcwsupplies.com, promo code LCSPOD. Trust Andy, one more time, once our website, give us a dad joke. It's www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. We'll be back next week with more movie mayhem. I was loose with most Andy Larson, joined by Chad Smith, Jay Scott, and Ethan Larson. And we hope that you stay safe, stay on a horse. And remember that if you lead a horse to water, don't put them in there because they can't swim. Silver horses can swim. Horse. Did you not see City Slickers? They crossed the river. Did they horses cross the Pacific Ocean? Those are seahorses. Smash that five-star review, man. <laughs> Good luck with this one, buddy. Good luck. Comic Shop was a 2023 Black Anders production.